Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Christy Jansen, Chief of Staff at the World Business Academy. And I'm here in a virtual room thanks to Zoom with Ronaldo Brudico, the Academy's president and founder, and Benjamin Schwartz, our producer for this show. The World Business Academy is a 501c3 nonprofit think tank and action incubator dedicated to elevating the consciousness of people in the business community and encouraging business leaders to use their power and influence to take greater responsibility for the communities and the environment their work touches. We are recording this show on July 11th, 2020. So, Ronaldo, I know we are planning to get into international news as there are some major trends going on in our global world right now, but we wanted to take a quick look at the domestic economic indicators and uh, what do you see happening right now? Well, thanks, Christy, and uh, thank you, Benjamin, for joining us as our line producer today. The problem with today's show is there's so much to talk about, I can guarantee you we're only going to get through a fraction of it. And in order to try and get through some of the important things we want to do today, I'm going to kind of blow quickly through some of the normal statistics we cover a lot. So as those of you know, we always tell you what the price of oil is. Well, as of a year ago, um, price of oil from last year is down 32.5%. And that price, which was a year ago, at $60 was half of what it was in the prior period. So we're talking about a collapse of the oil prices from $125 a barrel down to 30 well, down to, I guess, around 39 at this point, uh, 40 maybe. And people ask me, is that going to stay at 40? When's it coming back? And my answer is, mm, I don't think it's going to stay at 40. I think it's going to go down some more. And so the idea that it will come back, quote unquote, as the economy comes back, misses the basic understanding on a couple of levels, including which is the economy is not coming back that soon. And number two, as it does, you will find that there are increasingly more and more efficient replacements. Uh, the international news today is full of those replacements happening constantly around the world. Uh, I don't know if people know, but Germany adopted a bill to put a massive new hydrogen network in place in the nation of Germany. Um, the, the company Hyundai has decided to go from being an electric car manufacturer to a hydrogen gas manufacturer, as well as electric cars. Uh, There are two major trucking companies who are going into hydrogen trucking. So the hydrogen economy is here. And in fact, I want to point out to those who don't know enough about the hydrogen economy, there is a fabulous three-page spread on that very topic in this week's Economist magazine. That's the one with Joe Biden on the cover with a a mask. Now, when you look at that 32% negative oil down over the last year, and you look at the Dow Jones negative by 3.7%, most frequent question I get is, is it time now to buy the Dow Jones? Because it still hasn't gone up that high. It's below where it was a year ago. And the answer is absolutely not. If you are in the stock market today, if you are holding stocks at these prices, I cannot say for sure that you are going to lose 35% of your money, but I would say there's a very high probability you will because the market can't possibly sustain at these levels. 
Now, compared to that disaster, what's going on in the stock market, and it's going to keep rolling worse and worse between here and November, you got the fact that gold is up 28% from a year ago. And that number was up $200 an ounce from the year before it. So gold has been on a constant two-year rise, 28% up just in the last year. Oil on a constant two-year loss, down 32% just in the last year. That is, ladies and gentlemen, a 60% difference between the price of oil and the price of gold. And if you don't know what that means, then you can't understand why it is that the Dow Jones is at 3.7 negative on its way to about 20% negative or more. Now, what else do we need to know? Besides those key indicators, we need to know that the wheels on the economy are coming off. As the press has finally picked up on, by the end of July, we could end up with no post office in this country, which not only would be massive layoffs, which are enormous, but better than that, or worse than that, I should say, we would end up losing the thing that a huge percentage of senior citizens rely upon for medicine delivery at a time when COVID doesn't let you go to this pharmacy anymore. In addition, we believe that the reason the post office is being squeezed by the Trump administration out of existence is because Trump incorrectly believes that if he could stop vote by mail, somehow that would give a preference to the Republicans. I think he's wrong. And in a couple of recent elections that happened where voting by mail was automatic, the Republicans did actually better in the vote by mail component than they did in the ballot component. And it's the rural America which is going to be hurt exponentially more by closing off the pub- the public post office. Um, yeah. Or just yeah, as badly. Is- you know, it's the elderly group. It's the it's the rural Americans. These are a large part of the Republican base, although who knows who well, <laughs> Trump's and- real base actually is because it's... Yeah, well, I mean, apart from that, it's also... What it will the reason why FedEx and UPS want the post office to go away, yeah, is because the second day air service by the post office is a revolutionary service that's keeping prices down at FedEx and UPS. Right. So you get rid of the post office, they make more profit, right? And that's why they're lobbying to get rid of it. And that's a crazy idea, okay? Uh, you if you wanted to get the the post office to be cash flow positive inside of one day, here's all you have to do: number one, suspend Saturday delivery. Right now, you can pay extra for Sunday delivery. should be the same for Saturday. And what will happen is massive amounts of money will be saved, which will permit you to not then rehire everybody that retires. So you won't have, have massive layoffs at a time when we have layoffs. And number three, what would happen no, is- the, number, the second thing that, that you would do, right, is, I mean, if you stop Saturday, there's a third thing that would happen? Well, stop Saturday delivery, but the first thing, okay? Number two, stop accumulating, requiring the post office to prepay their long-term pension liability. Because that disadvantage, having to prepay off indefinitely into the future, is a financial burden that was lashed against the post office specifically for the purpose to bankrupt them. That's why it was put there. Okay, And the third thing, and last thing is, permit the post office to act more like a natural corporation which would be allowed to enter into new lines of business. Let me give you an example. Guess who the biggest savings and loan is in the country of Japan? It's Japan Post. Yeah. In other words, the post office is the perfect place to transition to all those branch offices that banks no longer want to run because they'd rather have you have go up to an ATM that has no employee. They'd rather be able to make money on your money through electronic digits and not have to deal with the, the unwashed masses. Fine. All those people will go to the post office. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you will create a mega savings institution, which will provide capital to the public at a better rate, frankly, than a private service. 
and which will be funded in a surplus. So the post office is able to reinvent itself as it did with second day air, as it did with, and by the way, no other service yet gives you the right to pay for a box. And whatever goes in the box is what you pay. Weight is not a factor. That's a huge innovation that neither FedEx nor UPS came up with. So there's a lot of innovation possible for the post office. There's a complete rebirth possible. If it's allowed to die, it will add enormous numbers to the unemployment rate. And more importantly, it's a decision that you can be sure will be reversed ultimately after a tremendous amount of economic damage is done and a lot of personal human damage. Okay, so that's the post office, right? If you take a look at the next thing that's going to happen at the end of July, we're running out of the $600 per week money that was added to the unemployment rate. And when you run out of that money, and, and my recommendation to the Congress would be, rather than run out of it, if you want, step it down to 400 but keep it going. And if you have to step it down to 200 in a couple of months, consider that. But whatever you do, don't stop doing the CARES Act. We need to get that money, in addition to the increase in unemployment, I mean, we need to get money into people's pockets. So whether it's the Andrew Yang, give us $1,000 a month forever proposal, or it's this Elizabeth Warren, give us $2,000 a month per person, everybody over the age of 18, until we're below 10% un unemployment. I don't care which one you pick, but you got to pick one of them or you'll have utter economic chaos in this country. Now, at the end of July, that's when that money starts coming about. It's like it dries up. That's when the post office would be gone. So, so much for the month of July. Happy times, right? Turns out August has got some bad bullets in it too. August, there's a whole bunch of programs that end, including the SBA programs, which means that that money stops going away, which has been pumped in at the rate of about $500 billion in the last couple months. Okay, so you had probably over $2 trillion pumped, of which at least a trillion was stolen, out and out stolen by corrupt government influence. Won't even go there. And about half, $500 billion to maybe $750 billion actually did some good. So that's a quick summary of all the potential. And frankly, there's even more potential than that behind the U.S. Post Office. If entrepreneurs were allowed to advise government officials about how to make it efficient, effective, it would become the dream that Benjamin Franklin never even had when he invented the post office in the first place. Let's go, though, to that one thing I said I was going to talk a little bit more about when I was covering the oil statistic. Here's something that we've been talking about on this show for basically a couple of years now. We've been warning people why they don't want to buy stock in the oil companies. Apart from the political ideology as to whether or not you like fossil fuels or don't, what we've been pointing out over and over again, all the different people and organizations and institutions that have stopped buying oil stocks, not because they're environmentalists necessarily, but because it's a bad investment. And one of the reasons we knew it was a bad investment was because we said they had a lot of water on their balance sheet, meaning they were showing as proven reserves, oil in the ground, that they would not be able to economically ever pump, extract, and sell. In which case, that's not oil on their balance sheet, it's water. So here's the first story of many that are coming. A number of companies have quietly started writing off their oil deposits as unrecoverable. So as an example, the one I want to pick on today is Shell. Now Shell Oil just joined the list of big oil companies, oil and gas both by the way, to write down the value of the assets they have under the ground by between 15 and 22 billion dollars just in the second quarter. Now folks, that may sound like a lot of money, 15 to 22 billion, one company in one quarter to write down, 
ain't nothing. The amount of water on their balance sheet will dwarf that number, and the amount of water on the collective balance sheets of the oil companies is enough to take them all into insolvency. Oh, and here's a fun fact just for the heck of it. As of this week, the market capitalization of Tesla is bigger than Exxon. Right. In one sense, right. electricity has now beat fossil fuels in the capital markets, at least. I don't believe in the Tesla valuation, by the way. Well, Please don't take that as an endorsement yeah. to buy Tesla. But I just want to point out that the world is shifting. Yeah. And then you see the, the pipeline getting shut down again in, in honor of the Native Americans getting rec recognized. All the pipelines. All the pipelines. Um, the Keystone XL pipeline is shut down. Um, and it just goes back to show you that oil is the past. And hydrogen, electric cars, electric uh, renewable energy, it's the future. And the carbon bubble is finally bursting. And why it's so important to observe it on this show is because we're warning people where not to have their money, whatever right. politics are. You, know, you might be somebody like going to Trump rallies without a mask on, which raises all sorts of questions about your intelligence. But even still, you don't want to own oil stocks because that's going to cost you money. Now, I just think it's incredibly important, therefore, that we do something in this show, which we don't normally do till the end, and that is I want to go to global signposts now, things that are happening around the world that you ought really to take notice of. Uh, many of you follow, for example, Israel. And if you have, and you've been seeing what's going on between the Israeli and the Palestinians and what the, the, the Arab world is saying to Israel about this proposed annexation that Netanyahu has proposed, Netanyahu's popularity has fallen dramatically in the past two weeks. Why? Because he opened up Israel too fast, just like a lot of states in America, and he's getting hammered by COVID. And people are saying, you know, if he's so smart, how come we're going backwards with COVID like a third world nation and not going forwards? And by the way, do we really want to have the brouhaha over Palestine now when the country's in the middle of a pandemic? So that's an example of something going on outside the country that affects all of us here in the country as well. Not just because we are Jewish or not Jewish, but because Israel is such a major part of our historical foreign policy setup. Now, and by the way, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict doesn't go away, even if they annex Palestine. In fact, it gets far worse, I suspect. And that means we're talking about a more explosive Iran. Because guess what else happened under the signpost this week? Iran got bombed. Now, the, the Israelis are pretending that the bomb that went off at their highest uh, fuel depot in Iran for making enriched uranium. The Israelis are claiming, oh, it was a fire started by disaffected workers. It appears there's considerable evidence that it was actually a bomb placed there. By the Israelis? Well, that would be the assumption. Okay. Wow. I did not, I didn't get that. That's, I know, but we're not good enough. The, the U.S. isn't good. Shin bet's good enough. We're not to do that. Okay. The, the, the point of the story is that Iran hit with a bomb this week, and it didn't even make the front page. No, and by the way, that bomb was so effective, it's going to set them back about two years in their rich fuel objectives. So when that doesn't make the front page, you got to start paying attention to it because it's saying to you something even bigger is going on than something as big as Iran getting bombed. Now, what else is going on out there? I, I mean, you could talk about the, the bankruptcies in the United States, over a hundred recent bankruptcies alleged that COVID was the reason for the bankruptcy in the U.S. just in the last month. But you could look at bankruptcies out of America. Take a look at Cirque du Soleil, probably one of the premier entertainment companies in the world. It's bankrupt. It's not even American. It's Canadian. It's French-Canadian. It represents probably, I'm going to say, what, 70% of the revenues in Las Vegas right now? 
which isn't making any money right now because all those – they're all shut down too. Well, they're partially shut down. They're coming back and I don't think they should because they're uh, they're, they're not really engaging in, in, in safe practices. I mean, you know, to me, somebody not engaging in safe pandemic practices, which would be wearing a mask indoors and outdoors at all times, staying 10 feet even with a mask from other people because we now know we can volatize that far if we want to um, – so maintaining that social distance, wearing the mask, watching what you touch, washing your hands constantly to make sure that you're not getting infection, and most importantly, realizing that we now are pretty sure this thing's going, it's airborne. Yeah. It's going up, and, and there's more of it in the air every day because there's more and more cases every day, therefore more and more is getting volatized every day. Well, that is an international phenomenon, not just a domestic one. From the point of view of modern international Western democracies, we're the only one that still has pandemic. All the rest have got it under control, which is why Europe reopened this week. And when they reopened, they've allowed 14 countries to start sending people there, including our neighbor to the north, Canada. We're not on that list. We're not on that list because we're not only a pariah nation at this point, we're a sick nation. We're a plague state. <laughs> we're a plague state. You can't let the plague into Europe, so they don't want people going there. Well, if you look at these international bankruptcies. And if you look at the lengths to which, for example, France and at least five other countries are working their tails off to try and bring some peace to the leaders of Niger, Burkina, Burkina Faso, Chad, Mali, Mauritania, they're all talking about how to strengthen their mutual security to stop a jihadist insurrection in the Sahel. Now, the Sahel is the, is the, is the, is the, semi-arid desert between the two deserts. It's one starts right below, the Sahel starts right below the Sahara, and then it goes down to the next arid area. Well, even France is involved in that conversation because what's happening, and I've talked about it on the show before, we're going to see more failed states. So Yemen's not the only failed state because of COVID. And, and it, Niger, Nigeria, which is not part of this group, is the largest population in Africa, and it can't even keep Boko Haram from invading its borders. That's how weak it is. So the, the warlords, Boko Haram being among them, ISIS, and other offspring groups of terrorists are now completely petrifying most of Africa. And in places like Niger, Burkina Faso, Chad, and Bali, and Mauritania, they're making enormous progress. And they've already got Yemen. It's over. So what you're going to see is a continuing collapse like dominoes. And the pressure of COVID... It, when you put that on, when you put that together with the climate pressure, what you're going to see is so many people who had achieved middle class in the African nations, particularly would say, you know, South Africa, are going to get crushed, just like the like the middle class got crushed here. And the only way out of it is to do what the Europeans and the Australians and the New Zealanders are doing, which is redesign conceptually how you see what the government's purpose is. And if you see the government's purpose is to help the most people as fast as you can to put a safety net under them so that when this is over they don't have they haven't lost their homes would be great you could get through this mess the economy would come out the other side we're doing the exact opposite folks we are going to have more people lose their houses probably 28 million in the next three months that's more than two and a half times all the people who lost their houses during the 2008 recession and are are you counting in there the renters who are going to lose their homes as well as the homeowners who are going to be defaulting on their mortgages? 
I, I, I'm only talking renters of the 28 million. Yeah, because, I mean, that's a whole... Di- yeah, the mortgage default people won't get hit for a while longer because the courts are clogged and right. not even fully open. No, I'm talking about renters. And by the way, if I were a renter right now and I got hit with a three-day notice to desist, cease and desist, or an unlawful detainer order, I think I'd just tear it up and throw it in the garbage. What, how are they going to take you to court? Who's, who, where's the bailiff? I, I, at this point, it's like, come on, folks. They can't do that to you right now. And if they try, let's have a little resistance. What happened to yeah? What happened to possession is nine tenths of the law, right? If you're still in the house, how can they really kick you out? <laughs> stay at home. Yeah, really. <laughs> Just stay at home. So, I think that the uh, but, but I was I was giving you was it was a a way to look at the international scene, global signposts, as a reflection of the U.S. domestic scene. So I'm trying to tie these together. So let me give you a couple of more really important milestones that have happened. Hong Kong's the biggest one. So with this move in Hong Kong to basically vitiate the agreement, which was supposed to keep Hong Kong separate as a separate legal system with China until 2047, came to an end in 2020, Mm -hmm. 27 years early. To the credit of Boris Johnson, who has not done many things right, he did something really smart here. He said any Chinese person who was born between before the date of the separation, can move to Britain. You have a visa waiting for you. So a lot of Chinese people are going to look seriously at abandoning Hong Kong. Why? Because Hong Kong as an international marketplace is gone. You cannot destroy the full faith and credit of Hong Kong's financial institutions and reduce them down to the level of no faith or credit that the Chinese institutions have and expect that Hong Kong will be the the, the engine, the economic engine of Southeast Asia. It won't be. What China's done for political purposes is to cut their proverbial nose off despite their face. They're going to lose Hong Kong as a doorway to the, to the West. And as a result, their net in-migration of investment is going to drop. And they're also going to find that their inability to integrate with the rest of the world economy will be a little bit harder. Not impossible, but harder. Do you think that that's part, partly because they are just saying that the West, are they abandoning the West on purpose? Uh, it's Hong Kong has become less a percentage of their overall economy over the last 20 years. No, I think it's, I think it's pure politics. I think it's G. I think it's, um, I think it's, um, look, he made himself dictator for life, G. It's another signpost I want to get to in a moment, what Putin just did. But G made himself a dictator for life. That sort of indicates what he thinks is most important. He thinks his personal control of the state, which is what a dictator thinks, is more important than the underlying well-being of the people because he's got to sacrifice one. Does he do what's best for the people or does he do what's best to keep himself in power? Xi clearly has made a choice, and Hong Kong was the wrong end of that choice. So now he's, he's stuck. And because Xi is not a brilliant economist, to put it mildly, and because Really, if it weren't for Cho and Lai, we wouldn't be sitting here with the Chinese that was resurgent in the first place and a few other people who actually brought China into the modern world. You can bet that China's going to start going backwards. Okay. Now, how fast it'll go backwards will depend on many factors, which unfortunately Xi does not know are beyond his control, including what's going to happen to the five great rivers of Asia because the water is dropping. Now, mm-hmm. let's talk about another one. Let's talk about something else that happened in the UK. Two things, actually. Interesting signpost. So there's about 40,000 people shy right now, uh, maybe 70,000, depending on how you count it, of people needed to actually harvest the crops in England. 
So England's not known for being an agricultural powerhouse, but it does have a lot of strawberries this time of year. And it has a lot of things it grows. And it doesn't have enough people to pick it. So Boris Johnson led a campaign, which is working, to get Britons to start picking. Sort of interesting. And there was a couple stories recently about people saying, you know, I don't make that much money doing it, but I get to work outside, it's healthy, and I feel good about it rather than sitting watching the telly waiting for my check to come back that's probably not coming back. So Johnson did a very smart thing there. He basically encouraged people to take work now. And I believe that what will happen in the U.S. is if we reduce the 600 per week down to 400 per week, some people getting the 600 will return to the workforce. Some will not. Okay, I'm not in favor of pushing or forcing people back to the workforce. I don't think it's safe right now. And clearly the brown and black people in our populations and red people are the ones that pay the biggest price in the marketplace. I don't think that's fair. But at the end of the day, it's a lot smarter to give 1,000, all of Andrew Yang, or 2,000 till the, till the depression ends, which is 10%, less than 10% employment, the way Warren would do it, much smarter. But if you're going to do a complete tough-it-out kind of campaign, which is what Boris has elected, it makes sense to try and get people to go back to the fields because that reduction in their lifestyle is permanent. And frankly, the GDP reduction to England, which will happen this year and will be even worse next year because of Brexit, which makes no sense at all, and one more, because they have put themselves in a position with Scotland where 55% of the people voted in, in, in vote in Scotland are now wanting to break free of the British. They voted overwhelmingly to stay in the European Union. I think they're going to be given the opportunity to do so. They have this long open border <clears throat> with Britain, and they probably want to close it because Scotland has solved the pandemic, and they're afraid they're going to get reinfected by the British. And so the Scots right now are watching to see if the Brits reinvade them. And if they do, the Scots are going to put full tilt boogie on to getting into the European community, staying there without Britain. At that point, what is the United Kingdom? It's basically England, the flag of St. George, and Wales. That's it. And by the way, the Irish are doing very well. They've just successfully got their first um, transfer of power under the new uh, government they elected two years ago where there was going to be power sharing. It's now been changed to the opposite party very peacefully, and the Irish don't seem to be missing a beat. And the Irish, as you know, are staying in the European Union, leaving enormous pressure because their country's working. Northern Ireland isn't. And Northern Ireland is separated from England by this big massive land called Ireland. So one would argue that Northern Ireland, which is more of a province than a separate country, is probably going to see its fate ultimately in the hands of Ireland and by that way, get back into the European Union through a back door. So all these things are going on, and these, these, these they have enormous implications. Um, Christy, you wanted to ask one question before I go to Russia. Well, I was going to say we can go to Russia next, but I was just going to point out that we've been talking for a long time, ever since Brexit was becoming more and more of a inevitability, even though it was really hard to think of that, just that they... UK economy is going to be collapsing, shrinking, and it's really it's starting to accelerate now with their inadequate response to this. Yeah, it's inevitable. Yeah. And Boris is only handling the pandemic a little better now than he was before, which wasn't great. And you're kind of surprised since he got it himself. You would think he'd be he'd, yeah he'd abandoned his Trumpian devotion. Uh, and you know, and, and Jair Bolsonaro down in Brazil actually has COVID now. Brazil is. I think at this point is overtaking the U.S. as the worst country in the world for new infections. And it's certainly beginning to overtake us on deaths at some point because they're going like crazy down there. Well, the, the head of the country, who's an un 
he's unrepentant. He says we should bring the military dictatorship back. I want to be the military dictator. Why don't you let me do that instead of having to get elected? Oh, and by the way, I got COVID this week. You know, and you got to hope he has a serious bout. <laughs> you got to hope keeps that him it takes of, him out. <laughs> keeps him out of his office for a few months anyway. Now, uh, I, I know we're running short on time. So I just wanted to touch quickly on the Russian situation. So Putin, which you know, is ruling for life, everybody knows that's what he's been machinating. You know, he does one trick after another after another, so he stays in power. And uh, finally, what he did is he he forced them to pass a new constitution, which makes him able to continue to be president for the next, I believe, it's sixteen or eighteen years. Yeah, up until twenty thirty six, he can 36. He, he's allowed to stay in power yeah. until twenty thirty six. He's probably going to be dead before then, which I think he figured out. So basically, he's king for life, right? Now, why is this interesting? Because he felt he needed to get a plebiscite to endorse it, even though they don't count the votes. And he knows they don't count the votes. So he knew he was going to win either way. And he knew that the, the, the Duma, the, the parliament in Russia, had already pre-approved it because it's his rubber stamp. So why did he do this, you must ask yourself? Was he trying to uh, at least make it look like he was being voted no. in? Cover no. political cover in some way. I'm sure that uh, you know facetiously he entertains that thought, but no, he knows what he's doing. No, I'll tell you what he did. He's got a terrible economic situation on his hands because seventy percent of the money they need to run the country comes from oil, and they can't pump oil and sell it at a profit when it's down to thirty-six, thirty-eight, forty dollars a barrel. It's below their break-even. Okay, which means they're hemorrhaging cash. Now. What did he do when the economy started going down, which it has now, and the, and the Russians are onto it? By the way, remember, Russians are people who make revolution over bread. When they're out of bread or out of vodka, actually, I take that back the other way. When they're out of vodka or out of bread, in that order, they make revolution. Okay, now, why is that important? He put into this plebiscite that if you vote, you will be guaranteed your benefits can never be reduced or eliminated if you're a pensioner. So they, they were going to get stuck with Putin anyway. Of course they voted for a lock-in pension because so many people in Russia have seen their pensions evaporate and have nothing to rely on and are turning to the streets. So it is my guess that because of that rule, which he got, which he gave them as his little, <laughs> the king was deigned to give you a little present for voting me in because you had no choice. Sugar, the sugar on top. I'm going to give yeah. you a little bit of candy with, with yeah. the poison. There you go. Okay, but don't anybody try to oppose me. Now, He's a dictator for life. G, dictator for life. Trump's dream is to become dictator for life, and he fears prison if he's unsuccessful. I don't believe Trump will succeed in becoming a dictator for life. He may be successful in destroying the United States of America because of what happens between now and, say, January 2nd. He may very well be successful with that, but he will not be a dictator for life because even if he's successful in keeping anybody else from getting seated, this guy can't run the country well enough to keep it on the rails. So the pandemics will, will continue to rage. I was delighted that Joe Biden said if he is elected on November 5th, the first thing he will do is on the 6th, he will issue his policies for how to handle the pandemic. I don't know why he's waiting till then. Why doesn't he link up with the Democratic House of Representatives and do it now? Let's hear what the Democrats would do. Why are they waiting to, for, for Trump to fail? He's going to fail for sure. They don't have to be he's, so cautious. He's already failed. He's, he's failed. He's, he's failed. He's, he's failed. And he doesn't even care. The fact that we just, you know, we're at um, literally, I guess we're over 240,000 dead today in the United States, on our way to 200,000. I don't see anything that's going to stop between here and 250, 260, and I have a real good case it's going to get to 200,000. If we're lucky, it yeah, could yeah. get much worse. And death rates are going up. It's, it's, it's not stopping. I'm going to end with this thought. I want to tie all this together. 
And here's how I tie it together. Whether you look at the international chaos, which is building, whether you look at the, de- the, de- the depression in international GDP, which you're experiencing, it's going to get worse. Whether you look at the global depression we're now in, which is going to get worse. Whether you look at the depression in the United States, whether you look at the pandemic in the U.S. and Brazil and other countries, particularly developing countries. When you look at all of that and you say, gee, how come the American stock market recorded their two best quarters in the last two decades? I, I don't know. Why? <laughs> That's a very big mystery. I would love to understand that. The stock market is not a reflection of the economy. The stock market is how very wealthy people manipulate money to make money, irrespective of what the underlying facts are, which is why I always call what I do, what Paul Krugman does, what uh, Stieglitz does, uh, to a, a lesser extent, Romy. Those four economists... We all believe in what are called fundamentals. We believe that if you look at what's fundamental, then you can calculate what the likely value of stock should be relative to that fundamental value over time. So the stock market's supposed to reflect how much money will companies be making tomorrow, a year from today, not from today. Even on that lenient standard where companies are getting fried today and where we're sitting in an economy where for 16 weeks in a row, we've over 1 million new Unemployment claims have been filed 16 weeks in a row. We're still about 17 million jobs shy of where we were in February, by the way. So this is not a happy scene. And the Republicans are saying they're not going to extend the CARES bill. Yes, they will. I told you on the show they would. Notice that last Wednesday, McConnell said, yeah, I guess we're going to have a bill, but we don't like the Democrats. Baloney. He's got no arrows in his quiver. He's out of ammunition because he followed Trump down the rabbit hole, and now he can't claw his way back out. He's going to have to (laughs) unleash money. He's got to. Because they have no prayer if they don't, and they have yeah. a Meyer prayer if they do. I wouldn't call it a rabbit hole. I think he followed Trump down the rat hole. Is what <laughs> it's not a rabbit. Rabbits are cute and fuzzy. Let's talk. Let's call it a spade a spade. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, with that happy thought, I just want to end then with pointing out, folks, the stock market is not safe for normal sentient human beings to be involved with. If you are a bright college graduate or still in college and you think that Robinhood platform gives you the ability to beat the odds boy are you a schmuck you're such a target and guys like me who know how to do that I don't because I don't choose to but guys like me who know how to separate you from your money as my sainted mother used to say a fool and his money are soon parted ladies and gentlemen those of you who stay in the stock market will know which side of that equation you're on and with that We'll see you again next week, and we're probably going to be making a major announcement about this show next week, so I hope you all tune in. Thanks again. Thank Christy, and thank you, Benjamin. Thank you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.